Love. This video is a message from a little boy named Salman. He disappeared five years ago in Syria during the war to defeat ISIS. He still hasn't been found. My name is Poonam Taneja. I'm traveling to Syria to find out what happened to Salman and the thousands of children like him, lost in one of the most dangerous places on earth. From BBC Sounds and CBC Podcasts, Bloodlines. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So you take the bark off, and you almost have to do this when the stick is cut within a day or so. Richard Park is holding a small piece of birch in his hand, and he's scraping the bark off with a knife. He is about to turn this piece of birch into a sturdy broom. Broom making is a traditional craft in Newfoundland, one that Richard Park first learned more than 40 years ago from a fisherman he came across in the village of Francois. This old gentleman was doing this whittling with a knife and a stick. So I said, sir, what are you doing? And he said, I'm making a birch broom. I said, uh, so what do you use that for? And he explained, they use it for cleaning out his boat after after gutting the fish and everything in the boat and all the gunk and slime and he described it all. So I said, if I came down, would you teach me how to make one? Oh yes, he was. Now this is what he wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. The next morning we were up bright and early and down to the stage and he was there with his stick off to the side and his pocket knife in his hand, waiting for us to come. Decades later, Richard Park is one of the few remaining masters of this craft. With help from the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador, Richard has become a mentor and started teaching people in his community, including his own daughter. The Crafts at Risk project has documented dozens of other endangered crafts and helped find experts who could pass their skills along to that next generation. And it's just been awarded a Governor General's History Award. Tara Barrett is a researcher of intangible cultural history at the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. She's in our St. John's studio. Tara, good morning. Good morning. Hey, congratulations on the award. Oh, thank you so much. We heard Richard talking about the birch broom. For people, I'm looking at a picture of one right now, but for people who don't know about this, w- describe what a birch broom looks like and, and a little bit of the history behind it. Uh, so a birch broom is essentially a, a wooden broom that's carved out of a singular piece of birch. So a piece of birch um, is shaved down um, and so that the the bristles kind of come over and they form a a broom. I know sometimes brooms are uh, pieces that are kind of put together, but mm-hmm. uh, for this, it's a singular piece of wood that's carved and whittled into a broom. And he was saying, I mean, from the fisherman that he met, um, that you'd use it to clean, in his words, the gunk out of the bottom of the boat. Yeah, so traditionally they were often used um, for the fishing industry. So um, like he said, the gunk of the boat, maybe on a fishing stage, so where people would bring their boats in and take their fish off on those uh, the wharfs or the fishing stages, mm. um, those would often be cleaned with a birch broom as well. And there's a long history of that? Yes, there is indeed. How far back? I don't know if we have like an exact date, mm-hmm. um, but it's certainly something that we've seen across the province for generations. When did did you and the foundation start to think about the fact that these crafts and the craft making process were starting to die out? 
So I guess it goes back a, a longer time, but um, in 2008, our office, uh, we dealt with built heritage initially, and then we, in 2008, we started uh, an intangible cultural heritage office. And so through that work in 2008 up until today, um, we do a lot of work around uh, traditional skills um, and knowledge. And so throughout kind of our time working with different communities, uh, we often hear about how um, traditional skills are at risk. And um, in 2017, the Craft Council of Newfoundland Labrador um, led a craft strategy. And so after that, um, in 2019, we did some, uh, we developed like a survey. Uh, We reached out to um, the UK. They have a a red list of crafts. Mm. Uh, They have a Heritage Crafts Association. And we reached out to them just to get kind of some more information about how they went about it. And so through uh, reaching out to them and then kind of developing the survey ourselves, uh, we partnered with the Craft Council again. And uh, we sent out that survey to, um, you know, all of the Craft Council's kind of members across the province, as well as people in the craft industry, um, anybody who kind of had a connection to crafts and and could tell us about um, the crafts that were kind of listed in that research. What is on our red list, crafts that would would be endangered in Newfoundland? Uh, So I guess the top of our list, um, we we have rope making there. Rope making was something that um, was kind of practiced both commercially for a commercial purpose, I guess, for for the fishery. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not something that we see across the province anymore. It's like Um, it's gone extinct in some ways. Yes, it has. Um, there's certainly, you know, some people I know kind of have done it in like an uh, like on an, an arts level, but I think like on an industry level, it's not seen anymore. Mm. Um, we also have several kind of other ones that are listed on our. Uh, we ha- we kind of did categories: uh, critically endangered, endangered, um, and currently viable, um, and then extinct for just that one that rope making. And so the ones that are kind of at the top of the list, um, birch broom making is one of them. Um, one of the other ones is bark tanning, which would be um, using like the tan, the barks from, um, say, like a spruce tree. You can use different kinds, but generally, spruce is one of the common ones to tan things like leather. So tanning skins mm. um, that would make them waterproof. People also used it to um, do sails, so your sails would become waterproof, um, and like your rope as well. Traditionally, um, things like grass making. So in Labrador, um, that's a definitely a common one or it was a common one in Inuit communities. Um, grass making could be used to make baskets, all kinds of uh, material objects out of grass, um, seagrass. Uh, we also have shuttle tatting is another one, which we, we haven't really found a ton of um, people who are doing that in the province. So if there's anybody who knows anybody who's doing shuttle tatting, uh, let us know. What is so it? Shuttle, shuttle tatting is essentially lace making. It's using a shuttle, which is just like um. A, a small tool uh, to make the tiniest little knots. Um, I did talk to one person um, in the Marystown area and Bow Boys in the, I guess, Marystown area of the province, and um, she's a she's Newfoundlander, but she grew up partially in Nova Scotia and she learned in a, a heritage house out there. Um, but she showed me, and it's like the tiniest little knots with um, just like thread, like the size of thread, but just making lace with the size of thread. Um, so very impressive, honestly, but there's not a lot of people in the province that we've been able to find uh, the, the, who do that. These crafts sound amazing. You wonder, and it sounds obvious, I mean, life is super modern and everything is digital. How how does it happen that the crafts that have such a firm place in tradition end up on that list or end up becoming extinct? I think it comes from uh a few things so we when we did this research we came up with kind of some of the issues that exist in crafts and some of those were like issues around well 
marketing, public education. So people don't necessarily know what goes into a craft. So if you know, if you go to a craft shop um, somewhere where there are traditionally handmade objects, sometimes those objects are more expensive because of the time and the materials that go into those. Um, but oftentimes, especially today, where there's you know commercially available products. People don't necessarily um, understand just what went into that. So I think, you know, public education is one. Uh, for a lot of these, it was, you know, function. So if there aren't as many people, you know, needing a birch broom to clean off their wharves and their stages, then maybe birch brooms don't get made as well as, as often. Mm. Um, another one on our list is uh, wriggle fence making, which I'm sure Guy will talk about in a minute. But, um, you know, I think we're seeing a slight resurgence in that over the past few years, I think because it it's, it's a style of fence that can be used around your garden and in other places. But I think it kind of went out of style because we didn't see, um, I guess in a lot of Newfoundland and Labrador communities, we would have seen um, animals roaming free. And mm. when that kind of went out of style, you didn't necessarily need that fence anymore. We're going to get to the fence in just a moment. But one of the reasons why the fence is interesting is because this is an example of these mentorships that I mentioned very early on. Just briefly tell us about the mentorships and how they work in terms of trying to keep those traditions alive. Sure. So for the Craft at Risk project, um, part of what we did was kind of look at, after we did this research, we looked at um, what we could do to kind of increase the visibility, increase the viability of these crafts. Um, so a few things were done. Uh, we did do a series of workshops. We did something like 67 workshops with a thousand registrants. And then the other thing that we did was the Mentor Apprentice Program. And so we got some funding through the government of Newfoundland Labrador, through the uh, Department of uh, Immigration Skills and Labor to do this Mentor Apprentice Program. And so we offered pairs up to $10,000 to uh, to work on this skill. So some of that went towards kind of uh, the actual time. So people were paid a little bit for their time and then the rest of the money could be put towards materials. So the cost of, you know, whatever particular skill they were working on, um, getting the materials for that. Uh, we had 30 mentor apprentice pairs mm. um, and that ranged across the province on a whole, you know, a whole slew of skills. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned Guy. Guy is Guy Barnable. He's from Fairyland, and his craft is indeed wriggle fence making. He's with you in studio. Guy, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. What's a wriggle fence? You could have started me off on an easier question, Matt. Um, <laughs> Tough question. I'm, just, I'm looking at a picture of one and it's beautiful, but I, you have to describe what it looks like. Okay. So it's, uh, it's a weaved fence. It's vertically weaved fence. Um, so... Um, you're kind of yeah, like so you're, you're taking a stick and kind of running it through a, some slats to create that weave, right? Right. So if you've got, uh, let's just say you've got a, a small section of fence, you've got your two posts in the ground, which we call stakes. Um, then you put your three, nail, nail your three long ones across, uh, horizontally across, um, which we call uh, longers. Mm -hmm. um, and then you weave some small pliable uh, sticks down vertically, weaved around those three longers that, that, that you've attached. As I said, uh, they're beautiful when they're finished, but it looks like it would be 
a lot of work to put something like this together. Uh, the work is collecting the materials. Uh, putting it together is a bit of fun. Um, Collect, so bit, collecting, the, collecting the materials is the hard work? No, for sure. Well, tell me about that. Um, so you need firstly identify uh, where you can get, especially the small sticks. Um, so uh, what I would call a wriggle, or, or in my area, we, we actually refer to it as a riddle. Uh, a riddle would be a, a stick that you could get your fingers around. So, for example, if you touch the top of your index finger to the top of your thumb. Doing that now? So Yeah. So, so that size around. So those trees are, for the most part, limited. So you need to be able to try to find... Uh, a place where you can get a lot of them in a short period of time, ideally. Mm. So that can be tricky sometimes. Uh, the best places are if uh, the place has been cut out for, you know, wood-burning purposes or if there's been a, a deadfall in the forest and all these new trees start to come up. Those are ideal places. So um, so it takes a long time because if you've seen a picture of it, you can imagine how many of those riddles yeah. you need to weave vertically to, to make a nice tight weave. So in an eight-foot section, for example, you could you need you know over a hundred of those. So um, so it takes a bit of time to find them, um, and then of course you need to cut branches off. Uh, you need to actually remove bark, um, bring all the materials to the site. So that part's uh, that part is definitely eighty-five percent of the work. How did you learn how to make these fences? I saw them in Fogo Island uh, in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, they really caught my attention because I'd never seen one before. And, and I liked the way it looked. I mean, they are um, really striking. It doesn't look like a typical fence. Yeah. It's, um, you know, if, if, if you know what a, like a basket, like a fishing basket, mm-hmm. a trouting basket would look like, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's kind of why it caught my eye because that's what it resembled. And um, so when I went, came back home to my community, uh, it started, I, I started to ask around and most people didn't know what I, what I was talking about. And uh, I, I spoke to one of the old guys at home, a friend of mine, and uh, he knew exactly what it was. He, he said, oh, it's a riddle fence. And... And so I asked him, you know, would you be able to show me, uh, get me started? So, uh, so he told me to go off and collect some materials. I came back, and and he and I started on just just the basics of one. Um, from that point, I just kind of took it on my own to, to carry on and try to learn on my own. And um, as I was working on it, I, I was I was happy to see, you know, older members of the community would would stop by and say, oh, "What are you doing, there, Barnable?" And um, <laughs> And, you know, I'd tell them what I was doing. And, of course, uh, like typical old fellas in community, they'd, they'd critique what you're doing. <laughs> no, you're um, not doing it right. They'll give you a little bit of instruction. Ex- exactly. But, you know, that's how you learn, uh, especially in a small rural town. And uh, so then at that, after that point, you know, I knew I could go to Aiden Moore. I knew I could go to, to my uncle, Herb Barnable, and, and ask him for other tips along the way. And, and yeah, just over time, um, learned, learned lots of tricks. And I'm still learning tricks. But now you're the person who's teaching other people. How did you get involved in this Crafts at Risk project? Um, you know, it's funny. It starts a long ways back. Uh, I started to build them for myself. I started, Then I started to teach my own children how to build them during COVID. Um, they were being homeschooled, and we took them out, outdoors one day, and I said, you know, okay, let's, let's just build a riddle fence. And uh, my son was into YouTube at the time. He I saw that. I watched this video last <laughs> night. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah, so so he made a YouTube video which went viral in our little corner of the world, and uh, then a member of Heritage Newfoundland Labrador, is a friend of mine as well, uh, said, "Hey, you know, maybe you and your boys would be interested in uh, facilitating some sessions on how to, how to build this, build these fences." And uh, so that's what we did. Uh, the next summer, we we worked with Heritage NL and we we did a workshop, and um, then a year or so later. The mentorship program came up, and I was very eager to get involved with here at the Gen L uh, again. Um, 
and and I applied and and was accepted for that. But uh, I'm a teacher by trade, mm. so I, I always enjoy uh, imparting my knowledge and skills to to other people whenever I can. And so it was perfect perfect uh, match. So there's a great story here. One of the people that you trained in this uh, craft, Eric Escudero, he's a grad student in ethnomusicology at Memorial University in Saint John's. Let's have a listen to him. What I like the most about Rigo Fence is the how much it fits the local landscape. You know, it, when you build a Rigo Fence, it's almost as if it was part of the natural landscape in a way. And at the same time, there's clearly an artistic side to it. What was most surprising for me was how much this tradition is connected to other traditions about uh, the local history, about as a musician, people would talk to me and guy would, would teach me about uh, music in the area. It gave me an opportunity not only to learn about this tradition specifically, but about how it connects to a broader way of, of living in Newfoundland and its, and its history. It's a meaningful, beautiful kind of art. So Guy, Eric is, is somebody who grew up in Brazil, totally different culture, but he wants to learn from you about this Newfoundland tradition. What do you make of that? Isn't that so cool? It is. Um, I, you know, at the beginning when I listened to your intro and talked about that, you know, it referred to the guy who wanted to learn how to birch broom making and, and he approached somebody on the stage. Uh, you know, that took a lot of bravery. Mm -hmm. He was an outsider to the community and he, and he had to do that. So um, isn't it amazing that we've got a, a structured program uh, here in Janelle's created that, you know, breaks down some of those barriers and it enables people to be able to – Say, hey, I'd like to learn um, caribou hide tufting. I, I don't know anybody who can teach me. Can you help? Um, so that's, that, for, for, from Eric's perspective, from from a protege's perspective, I think is amazing because it breaks down that barrier immediately. And uh, for the people that offer offer themselves as mentors, you know, I would I would assume just like me, and people are interested in taking on anybody who's who's eager to learn. Tara. You're a researcher in intangible cultural heritage. That word intangible is really powerful. What happens when when traditions and, and crafts like this are lost, do you think? I think when traditions like this are lost, it's it's how do I say this? It's not it's not that the skill isn't important, the skill is very important, but it's all of the material like all of the information and the knowledge that comes with the skill. Um, like the wriggle fences or the birch brooms, it's, it's not just, it doesn't just exist on its own. It mm. exists in, in conjunction with all of these other things that are happening in the community. Like the, the birch broom, for example, um, the knowledge of, of how to make a birch broom is, is one part of kind of that whole, um, traditional knowledge around the fishing industry and, and around fishing in the community, like how to build a stage. Um, Guy mentioned earlier that the, you know the the long pieces of wood that go across uh, the the fence to hold the stakes together or the posts together. Um, in Newfoundland Labrador, we often call those longers. Uh, and so, when you're building a fishing wharf or a fishing stage, uh, those are also called longers. So, just kind of the knowledge, all of the knowledge of these traditional skills kind of feed in together. And so, if we lose the traditional skills, then we lose all of that knowledge mm. as well. And so. I guess a large part of what we did in addition to the mentor-apprentice program and, and the workshops that we did um, was we did documentation. So um, Lara Maynard was our uh, heritage our heritage skills program coordinator, administrator, 
um, and I did the documentation. So I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of our mentor apprentice pairs, um, do interviews with them, uh, also go to a lot of our workshops and um, document through photos, video, um, audio as well. And all of that material is going to Memorial University. We have a partnership with them. They have a digital archives. Mm. And so this digital archives is where we want to place that material so that um, it can be accessed for the future. So if anybody wants to learn how to build a wriggle fence in the future and they don't know somebody, at least there's some material there that they can access to hopefully um, start them on that way so we can capture that that knowledge. And so um, all of the things that go with kind of the material object, mm. all of those intangible things are also kind of captured in some way as well. So we just, we're just about out of time. I want to hear about one more craft. This is uh, one of the indigenous traditions that was part of this project. Arlene White was one of the apprentices who learned about spruce root basket making, which is a traditional Mi'kmaq craft. It's calming and it's so satisfying because you can see the basket coming together. And it's just... Um, I don't know, it brings you back in time and you as you're sitting there and I think of like I think of all of our ancestors that sat around and, and did the crafts years ago and, and how they survived from it. The weaving definitely brings you into a state of mind that, yeah, you're here in the presence, but it's because of the work that those in the past have done to bring us here today. So it's it's a reflection for me too. It was definitely my favorite. Tara, we just have a minute or two left. Um, one of the neat things about this is the tradition and the knowledge is kept alive, but this has turned into a bit of a business opportunity for people as well, right? It has. I mean, and maybe Guy can talk to that a little bit, but we have had several of our mentor-apprentice pairs um, end up kind of doing uh, businesses, whether on a small scale or a larger scale. Uh, one of our mentor-apprentice pairs in wooden window making um, started a whole business, uh, Neil Hammond. So Hammond's Woodworking kind of came out of that. So Neil worked with his mentor, Rex Passion, and and they worked together. Um, Neil was kind of already, a, a, a he had, um, I believe, a red seal in uh, cabinet making. And so he was really good at kind of woodwork already. And so when he started working with Rex, Rex said, you know, you you can do all of this. Yes, it might be a little bit new to you, like some of the skills, but you you have all the knowledge already. Mm. And so they really kind of worked on also building in a business component and being able to um, figure out kind of all of those business skills as well. And so he's launched his own business and has done work for several um, heritage, like historic buildings and, uh, and museums as well. So replacing, mm. or I should say, restoring wooden windows. He has done a few kind of um, replacement windows when the windows were not able to be restored, um, but he does a lot of restoration work. Guy, just briefly, you, you have a bit of a side hustle now? Are you are you making wriggle fences, you and your boys? Uh, yeah, we are. It, it never set out to that, that being a plan other than doing it for myself and friends. But uh, yeah, we've get, got people who've, who've uh, got interest as, as I think... Um, Tara mentioned earlier, you know, there's been a little bit of a resurgence, a little bit more, uh, more interest, uh, people discovering regal fences for the first time and seeing them and, and, and wanting some of their own or to learn how to do it. So, yeah, so we've, we've been involved doing, doing some of that work as well. We do dry stone walling. Oh, um, lovely. And uh, so that's another thing that, uh, again, it's, 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 it's appealing to the eye and it's um, a little bit unique. So, yeah, so there's, there's certainly an appetite for things that look a little unique and natural. And traditional. And traditional. I love this story, and I'm really glad to talk to you both about it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Tara Barrett is an intangible cultural heritage researcher at the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Guy Barnable is a wriggle fence maker, lives in Fairland, Newfoundland. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.